1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Yes, indeed. I am joined from the University of Minnesota. I'm not sure if she's there right now. Is Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M. Good morning, Julie.
3: I'm in the remote mound, Minnesota office of the University of Minnesota.
2: Ah, yes, in the underground bunker. It's <laughs> yeah. a matter of fact. The well, green room.
3: We're from coming coming at you from the green room.
2: Yeah, you have a neat studio there for sure. I've seen uh, <laughs> I've seen pictures of it. Well, Julie is ready, willing, and able to answer your lawn or garden questions. So if you have those and you know how busy we tend to get, don't wait. Uh, send it in via text, or if you want to chat with uh, Julie, you can uh, call Julie six five one. 9899226. Uh I know we had some uh text uh, Julie that we missed last week and okay. I don't want to let uh, let those folks uh, uh, go here without uh, helping them out. Let's let's do this uh, early stuff here while we're waiting. We're already getting a bunch of uh, text messages.
3: Awesome. Is
2: it too early to take the leaves off the rose bushes? Thanks love the show.
3: Um I think I would suggest that you just uh, if you see something growing, uh, we're going to get some chilly weather coming up, so I'd probably just leave it covered for the moment uh, until we get some uh, warmer evening temperatures. It's not going to kill the rose bush if they get hit with a little cold, but it could damage those up emer- kind of emerging leaves and stems. So I would just hang hang tight, may- wait you know wait until maybe April or so. And then just push the leaves aside. Leave them on as mulch around the plants.
2: Okay, very good. Uh, When propagating holiday cacti, Dexter says, I see people putting them in water and pebbles. Are decorative glass beads just as good to use, or can you just go with plain water and get results?
3: Well, the the best way to propagate that plant is to actually put it into a soil. So uh, I would would get a nice uh, potting soil, fresh potting soil, and dampen it, you know, get it so it's about the about as much moisture as a wrung-out sponge. Put it in a container and then just use a little bit of root tone. Root tone is a hormone, a powder that you can buy, or you can buy it in a gel. And, uh, and just dip the end, the cut end in that, and then put it into that uh, moist potting soil. And And that's the best way to start those plants. They get much stronger roots that way versus putting them in water.
2: Okay. Uh, Let's see. Boy, we've got a bunch already. Uh, How much and how often do I water a Christmas cactus? Thank you. It is blooming some now.
3: Oh, nice. That's great. The important thing about Christmas cactus is to make sure that the pot drains well. So uh, put it in the sink. Make sure there's holes in the bottom of the pot. Set it in the sink and water it. Let it drain very well, and then you can put it back into the window. Or if you're putting it into a decorative pot, a second pot, Uh, you can just set it back in that decorative pot at that point. They actually, even though they're kind of these meaty uh, stems, they actually like to be a little bit on the drier side. Uh, You don't need to really water them that much. They need that air and that soil to really produce some good, strong roots.
2: Okay. Any suggestions, this uh, listener says, for a shrub or tree for privacy for a bathroom window that does not have an invasive root system?
3: Oh, boy. Well, I don't think you have to worry about the root system. Uh, But I think you would want to look at how high that window is and determine, you know, can I put a small tree in front of it? You want to also move that plant far enough away from the foundation of your house so that you can get back and maintain your house, maintain your foundation, and also uh, prevent any kind of buildup of of moisture from the plant being too close to the foundation. So look at the height and look at the width that you have. That's a really good place to start. And then also the amount of light. Sounds like it might be a fairly shaded area possibly because of the house. And then also the type of soil. And usually foundation soil is quite dry. So uh, you've got these three soil, sunlight and space and start with those three, and then go to our Plant Elements of Design plant selection database. It's found on our extension site under landscaping, and you can plug in that information, and there's a bunch of other different uh, plant characteristics you could choose, and then see what comes up. So there's lots of options for that, and it really depends on that, those three major things, the soil, the sun, and the space that you have
2: yeah that 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 website has helped me out in years past on oh, on selecting shrubs yeah that's that's uh, that's a great uh, suggestion. Uh, this listener says my new house has primarily south facing windows, but uh, my many house plants do not tolerate this exposure mm, very high how much how much do window screens reduce the sunlight so my moderate light loving plants won't get scorched?
3: They will reduce it somewhat. Uh, you could also put shears in the windows. Or you could also uh, move those plants outside into, say, a semi-shady location in the summer. So that's another option too. Uh, plants, house plants, do great outside in the summer. And again, you just really need to make sure that those containers are draining well. Because if you get rain, you don't want them sitting in water. Okay.
2: Uh, here's one. Boy, we have so many already. I have uh, little white patches on my wandering Jew. Could they be mealy bugs? If so, how do I get rid of them?
3: Oh, if they are mealybugs, bugs, I'm sorry to hear that. We have. Uh, you can remove them physically. You can pick them off with your hands. You can use a little swab dipped in alcohol, just a rubbing alcohol, and and dab them on those insects. Wipe, kind of wipe them with the, with that. You can also use a product like a, a low-impact pesticide, such as horticultural oil or neem oil or insecticidal soap. All of those will work on mealybugs. You can try washing the plant if it's horticultural oil or neem oil or insecticidal soap. All of those will work on mealybugs. You can try washing the plant. If it's small enough, you can put it under, the, under a spray of water in your sink and give it a blast. And, and be sure to try to turn it upside down, the leaves, because those insects like to live on the underside of the leaves, too. So um, we have an excellent publication on managing insect pests on indoor plants. That's on our houseplant section of our Yard and Garden webpage. So that's going to be at extension.umn.edu and go to Yard and Garden and go to houseplants. And uh, it has excellent photos, along with other pests, too, not just mealybugs.
2: All right, good. Uh, I tell you what, let's do this, Julie. Let's take a quick break here. We have uh, tons of questions to to get answered, so we'll take this break, be right back. Don't forget to set your clocks ahead one hour, spring ahead one hour overnight tonight. We will join Daylight Saving Time tomorrow, to be exact, at 2 tomorrow morning. So spring ahead, Overnight tonight, set your clocks ahead. Right now in the Twin Cities, we have already moved to 37 degrees. We are on our way to near 61 today with sunshine. Stay with us here on News Talk 830. This is WCCO. Morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Danny Long here, along with uh, Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota, helping you out by phone and by text as usual. And, uh, Julie, what's going on? I'm, I'm thinking, I look out the window and I see all this great lawn, and I think, <laughs> boy, is it going to be fun to get back, not that it always isn't yeah, year round, to the definitely. Arboretum.
3: Yeah, well, you can still go to the Arboretum. You need yeah. a reservation. Uh, easy to do online, uh, certainly no charge for members. And it's, I think, 15 bucks for people who are not members. But uh, but yeah, you can go out, you can walk the gardens, you can drive three mile drive. Uh, I think the gift store is open. You can go in there. Uh, the restaurant is not open, but you can certainly bring, uh, you know, a picnic or something on a nice day like today. It wouldn't be so bad to be sitting outside having a You know, a cup of, you know, something hot like coffee with a roll or something. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, lots to see out there. And uh, they're, you know, looking forward to the upcoming season as well.
2: Well, speaking of the Arboretum, I was looking at this text that came in a bit ago from Jeff in Maple Grove. Last year, I planted a 75-foot-long row of Carl Forrester ornamental grass spaced one foot apart. I'm wondering... What would happen if I did not cut them back every spring? I'm wanting them to look like the ornamental grass at the Arboretum and get to be a 10-foot tall tall hedge. He says, that's cool. So there's another fan of the Arboretum.
3: (laughs) Well, you're not going to get a 10-foot tall hedge with Carl Forster. Carl Forster feathery grass grows to be maybe 4 feet tall. And you planted them pretty close together. So these plants will get quite large. Uh, a foot apart is is pretty tight. And uh, I think they probably get at least two feet across. Um, but uh, you, you do want to cut them down in the spring. And the reason for that is these are early emerging ornamental grasses. So they start to green up pretty early in the season. And you can see the new blades coming up through the old uh, grass uh, from last year. So you want to cut them down so that those new blades can actually get uh, a nice, you know, get enough sun and can uh, take advantage of the space. That old grass from last year is just going to fall over. So it isn't like a shrub that is going to just keep standing through the entire summer. And it's actually going to hamper your plants from greening up and growing well. So you do need to cut them down. Uh, If you want to uh, really have a very tall hedge, I would recommend that you look at uh, woody plants that have some kind of structure above ground that persists from year to year. And that would be the branching. So the tall 10-foot grasses that you saw at the grass collection are probably Miscanthus, which is a different kind of grass. And um, so if Carl Forster isn't what you want, you might want to uh, take some of them out, put them somewhere else in your on your property, and then add in some of those taller grasses.
2: Okay, very good. Let's uh, take a phone call from Apple Valley. Edna, I believe, is uh, waiting there in the wings. Edna, you're on with Julie.
3: Good morning. Um, I have a drop more honeysuckle on my a lattice in front of my house. And I know it's not the best honeysuckle, but it blooms beautifully. The hummingbirds love it but it is just full of a black fungus or i don't know i i thought it was powdery mildew but i guess that's white right yes it is white um first of all it's a great vine it I, is uh, a terrific vine to have on your fence uh and so I, I I think it's a great choice. I'm not sure what the black would be. It sounds like a type of mildew, but not powdery mildew. You are correct. The powdery mildew is white, and it's on the top surface of the plant leaves. So uh, what I recommend just thick, and it's just thick. That I'm sorry it, to hear that. Me yeah. too. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would take a picture of it, okay. and I would I would put it uh, go to Ask a Master Gardener on our webpage and send a couple photos of it. See if we can help diagnose what that is. It may be, it sounds like a fungus of some kind that maybe some pruning would help to increase some light getting to the plant. Uh, If you are overhead watering at all, if it's under a sprinkler, you might want to stop doing that and water at the base of the plant. Um, But why don't you send a couple photos in to ask a master gardener on our website and see if we can help you figure out what's going on.
2: And that website is?
3: That would be extension.umn.edu. And Ask a Master Gardener, just go to Yard and Garden and scroll right to the bottom of our main webpage, and you'll find Ask a Master Gardener and the tools for sending in questions plus images for diagnosis.
2: All right, very good. This texter says, read your article about LED lighting. Is there a difference between cool white and daylight lamps? Which is better? Texter wants to know.
3: Boy, that's a good question. Those lights, I do not believe, are the LEDs we are talking about. So those are just LED lights that we use for room environments, for reading, mm-hmm. uh, in place of incandescence. You want to actually buy a, uh LED light that is designed for growing. And the, one of the differences of those is that an LED grow light is comprised of red LEDs and blue LEDs, and maybe a couple greenish-yellow ones in there. But um, but you don't want to just use uh, a cool or a daylight bulb. Those are, again, those are just for our daily living. Um, you can buy a lot of LED lights, all different kinds. I've, I've got probably four different kinds of LED lights, none of them very expensive in my green room right now growing or over my orchids. And they're pretty inexpensive. You can find them at brew and grow locations. You can find them online. You can get bulbs that fit standard light fixtures. If you have like a, oh, like an overhead light that's, you know, a floor lamp or something, and it has a nice big shade on it, you can use that and direct that light toward maybe a taller plant. I've got one of those set up in my in my green room. But you can also buy small lights that are uh, fit into, um, that that actually can, say, clamp on the side of your table or uh, hang from the ceiling, you know, all different kinds of things. So, you want to go with a grow light that's an LED light, not an in, not a living room type of light.
2: And LEDs, I love them for one, well, for a lot of reasons, but they don't use that much electricity.
3: Yeah, and they're cool. That's another yeah. thing, too. They don't get hot, which is great for a growing environment because we want to keep houseplants relatively cool. Uh, they don't do well in hot conditions in a house. It gets uh, a lot of insects like that condition, so you can that can be a pest attractor. Yeah. So they're cool wow. lights. It's great. Yeah, and low electricity use.
2: Very good. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's do this. Let's uh, let's take a break and look at that warm forecast that's uh, coming up here in, uh, in just a minute or two. Julie Weisenhorn with us from the University of Minnesota here on our Smart Garden Show six five one. 9899226 you want to call in your question or send a text same number applies 37 degrees in the twin cities stay with us we're going to have a look at that forecast coming up don't forget set your clocks ahead 1 hour overnight tonight so 37 And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. We are around in the 8 o'clock hour every Saturday here on WCCO. Helping you out today from the University of Minnesota is Julie Weisenhorn. And uh, Julie, we, as usual, have callers and textures, But I, I wanted to ask you, is it is the time of the year that we start talking about uh, visiting public gardens?
3: Oh, yeah. Public gardens are one of the best ways to see a variety of plants, a lot of plants, and how they're used in landscapes. Some of them are very specific. They're Japanese gardens or they're actually um, cemeteries. <laughs> um, there are a lot of that have specialty uh, collections. And so we have a great website uh, called mngardens.horticulture.umn.edu. So min gardens, mngardens.horticulture.umn.edu. And it lists all sorts of public gardens divided by regions of Minnesota. In Minnesota, I think we have close to 50 public gardens, big and small. Wow. Uh, yeah, so tons of stuff. And it's such a great way. And if you're traveling, be sure to visit public gardens around uh, in the areas that you're going. And I understand you're headed to Montreal coming up this summer. Well, I'm we sure jealous. hope so.
2: Montreal, Quebec City. Yeah, we really hope we're looking forward to this so much. And because mm-hmm. of the uh, pandemic, uh, Canada has closed its doors. Oh, and and yeah. we're going to find out. We're going to find out this week, as I recall. Thanks for That's asking. Great. That, that let's hope they open it up because they've canceled all the Alaska cruises.
3: Yeah, All well, there's, there there's a Montreal Botanical Garden that I would give my ITs to go Ooh. see. So, well,
2: that, thanks for the tip. That's yeah, one of the things so we will have to beautiful. stop by. Yeah, if you want to get in touch, you want to check out the itinerary, I know we don't have time to talk about it now. Just get on the web, holidayvacations.com, keyword WCCO radio. It's going to be September 9th to the 19th. We hope <laughs> to get up yeah, there.
3: Yeah, I hope so, too. September right. is a off.
2: Oh, yes, It is. All right, let's uh, grab a phone call from uh, Don who's been waiting there in Burnsville to ask you a question. Thank you, Don. What is uh, your question for Julie?
4: I hope we haven't win- missed the weather window yet, but I'd like to uh, cut some small limbs off the bottom of some spruce trees in our yard to make sure that it's easier to mow around them in the summertime. Is it okay to do that this week?
3: Absolutely. You go right ahead and do that. And that's a good idea to help, um, help you manage your lawn underneath it even consider uh, mulching that spruce tree out uh, beyond the edge of the leaves or the or the branches so that you can mow around it and not have to actually mow under it so that would be easier too because those are pretty sharp needles
2: all right thanks Don appreciate that Don leaves the line open at 651-989-9226 bear with me Julie if this uh, text goes on for a few lines here okay see if I can piece them together correctly. <laughs> Last fall, I left most of my perennials standing to provide shelter over the winter for beneficial insects. Now, I'm wondering how long I should wait before cutting down all the dead stalks this spring so the insects hiding in them have a chance to emerge. Also, do you think it would be safe for those insects if I cut down the dead stalks and loosely pride them in an empty part of the garden until it's time for those insects to emerge? There you have it.
3: That is a very good question, and I think you could do that. Um, we would ideally like you to just leave those dead stalks standing. You can cut them back to maybe between five to eight inches, and it, it, your plants will grow up around those stalks, and then the stalks will naturally fall. And uh, but yes, if they have fallen, or if you have to cut them down, cut them low, and then you can put those stalks uh, as the text mentions, in the back of the garden, you can tuck it under the trees, you can tuck it underneath uh, around the plants, and the plants are going to grow up and cover them anyway, but the bees will still find them. So we just say don't compost those uh, hollow stems and don't burn them, but just put them someplace where bees can emerge from them or bees can find them to build uh, their future nests.
2: Julie, this uh, listener says, is it necessary to treat my birch trees against Japanese beetles every year? It has helped a lot in the past, but it's expensive, and I'd like to take
3: a year off. What do you think? Well, Japanese beetles are here to stay. So, uh, unfortunately, we have to learn to live with them. Um, You might want to just consider if the damage is cosmetic In other words, we don't like the way it looks, but is it really harming the tree? And oftentimes uh, with Japanese beetles, that is the case, especially if it's a large, mature plant. The younger plants are the ones to really worry about. If you've planted a new birch tree, uh, you don't want the Japanese beetles uh, feeding on that plant because it doesn't have that much from a foliage standpoint. That foliage is important for photosynthesizing and putting energy back into the plant. But if you have a mature tree... The Japanese beetles will do some feeding, but ultimately it's not going to um, cause the tree to go downhill unless, it, unless they completely defoliate it, you know, several years in a row. So you might want to consider taking a year off from that and just assessing how bad the damage is. Japanese beetles uh, populations also go up and down in different areas. So it could be that you get a, a year that you have fewer beetles in your yard. And, uh, and that might be a possibility, too. So I would, I would recommend taking a year off and just seeing how, you know, how it hap- you know what happens and how bad it really is.
2: Okay. Uh, let's go back to the phones. I think Mick is calling in from Edina this morning. Mick, you're on CCO with Julie.
4: Morning, Julie. Thanks for taking my call. Julie, I have a couple questions. My daughter lives in Champlin and has two large uh, elm and one large ash tree and each have uh, some dead limbs. Is it too late to trim those up?
3: No, you can still trim those plants at this point. That's cool. fine.
4: Good. And then uh, last fall, I have uh, mountain ash trees in my front yard, and they're probably inch, inch and a quarter in diameter, and uh, the deer got in there and raised heck with three of them. Uh, and I, I, I intended to wrap them that day. I didn't. That night, the deer ripped them, and so... I have a lot of damage to three of the, of the uh, mountain ash. What do you suggest? Okay.
3: Where's the damage? Is it on the trunk? Did they yes. chew through the it? Okay. They, um, were,
4: they were shining their antlers, getting the velvet off their antlers. Oh, which...
3: sure, sure. They were rubbing. So yes. um, that may be an issue. It depends how deep it goes. I'm not, um, I'm not entirely sure that the rubbing actually uh, cuts through the, the cambium layer, which is just below the bark small trees though, inch and a half diameter. So um, I would keep them as stress-free as possible going into the spring. In other words, if we have a dry spring, be sure you're watering them enough. Uh, I would mulch their root area so that you're not mowing, uh, having to mow around them. You might have already done that. And I would keep an eye on them and then be sure to put Um, fencing around them next year so that the deer can't get to those plants but the the only thing you can do now is keep that plant as healthy as possible don't fertilize it at this point but just keep it watered keep the roots protected and then be sure to fence it going forward all right
2: let's see who's next Uh, noreen is calling in i believe from roseville this morning thanks for waiting noreen what is your question for julie
3: I have a question about a house plant that was brought to me a week ago. Okay, Kayla lilies. Yes. And, and they're bright yellow and they're beautiful. But I, I there were no instructions, <laughs> and they're Some of the leaves are one at a time getting gelatinous and collapsing. <laughs> huh. And the rest of them are all fine and perky. And I don't know if that's because. I don't know how they act when they're dying, but okay. but when they when it drops whatever, it stains everything the yellow part. I, it isn't soaking wet, but I've I've just watered watered it sparsely, but I just don't. I've never had one before, and I have no idea what to do. Okay, well, it sounds like something is uh, that, that these leaves or flowers that are dropping off are essentially kind of says they're kind of slimy, um, that they're maybe rotting. Uh, it could be that you're over-watering the plant. And uh, so I would make sure, first of all, that the plant, the pot drains really well. Set it in the sink to water it. Um, these do really well outside as well. So as soon as the weather is consistently warm, then I would say plant them outside and then uh, and, and enjoy them out there. Now they're not hardy, so you would have to dig them up and bring them back inside uh, and store those rhizomes over the winter. So these are going to be these kind of big, fat tubers, sort of things. They're actually called a rhizome, and you can store them uh, over the winter. We have some information on calla lilies on our web page under under actually under annuals. So we we classify this as an annual flower. And you can find out a little bit more about that. I'm guessing that they're being overwatered, And so, again, just make sure that that container drains really well. Let them dry out before you water them. And uh, good luck with that. I think um, I'd get them outside as soon as the nice warm weather uh, occurs.
2: Let's uh, grab a text here, Julie. It says, uh, after the snow melted... I have terrible ruts in my lawn made by some sort of tunneling animal. What do I do, and when do I do it?
3: We've had a number of people ask about ruts in their lawn, and we're we're kind of uh, most of them turn out to be voles. So voles are like little mouse-sized critters. They have short tails. They tend to chew and feed on uh, shrubs and tender trees, young trees. And uh, and they like to tunnel under long grass or weeds or plants that have collapsed, you know, and created this kind of covering over the ground. So it's this kind of protective area. So um, the best thing to do is as soon as you, you know, when you can, now it's, it's a little bit early yet, but to go out and just clean up that area, uh, protect your trees by putting uh, some hardware cloth around them, especially if they're young trees, to prevent feeding next winter. So... And then in the fall, you want to cut your lawn uh, fairly short the last time you mow it to prevent that extra grass from growing and creating this kind of perfect vole habitat. Yeah. All right. You can also encourage uh, predators in your yard like hawks and other birds that, uh, that hunt these little critters and, uh, and do that by predators in your yard like hawks and other birds that, uh, that hunt these little critters and uh and do that by um you know setting up uh if you have a tree that's a snag you know a, a, you can leave that standing um if you can set up uh, any kind of a feeder or a, a a a nesting box if you have a big enough property uh that kind of thing so
2: yeah sounds good okay i tell you what i'm getting a signal we need to take a quick break so let's do that We'll go back to the phones and more text messages here on our Smart Garden Show on News Talk 830, WCCO. Stay with us. Good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Danny Long here along with Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota helping you out today. Julie, we had uh, a possibility of some vole damage in a previous yes. uh, t- texter. Uh, what, uh, you have a follow-up to that?
3: Yeah, so I wanted to direct people also to our uh, webpage on how to manage vole damage in lawns and on trees and shrubs. And it gives some really great information about voles, about their life cycles, their rodents. They have, uh, they're very productive breeders, like many rodents are. Uh, and about every three to five years, there's a population boom and mild winters with good snowfall, snowfall will help to increase their population. So we had good snowfall this year, and except for those, what, two weeks in February, we had a fairly mild winter. So we might see more voles this year. The good thing is, is they make these trails, but the trails are not permanent. Uh, You can just simply reseed those trails uh, in your lawn as soon as we can start to seed when the soil has warmed up, and it will grow right back. So uh, there's some things you can do to prevent that mole, uh, that vole damage to things like cleaning up wood piles and debris from the ground. where are really good hiding places for these little guys, keeping that grass trimmed short, particularly at the end of the season next fall, cutting that down short so that they don't have any cover for the snowfall. And then keeping bushes trimmed up from the ground also helps, too. So bird feeders are also big attractors for voles. So uh, make sure that you're either uh, keeping the ground clean around those, uh, around those bird feeders or take them down entirely and plant plants that birds can feed on.
2: All right. Good. Thank you. Uh, here's The texter says this, Julie. I, I have some sod I laid last year that failed. Can I just put grass seed on it? And can I put grass seed down on muddy areas right now to get a head start?
3: I wouldn't bother putting grass seed on the old sod. It's um, it's probably uh, going to be harder for that grass seed to uh, put down some good roots because it's going to have to work through that old sod, the dead stuff. I would take that up, I'd compost it, uh, and then I would rake up that soil when the when the uh and and put down some seed. You could put it down now, but it's actually a little bit early. I'd maybe wait a couple of weeks. And uh, we don't really want people out raking up parts of their lawns right now because the soil is still frozen in some areas. And it's also kind of mushy. You know, it's it's damp. And so just kind of stay off of it. Uh, you can do more damage uh, going out too early, such as compacting your soil down. So just hang tight and, uh, and put that seed down in the next couple weeks. We'll probably be fine.
2: Okay. A listener wants to know, when's the best uh, time to remove last year's blossoms, or maybe the best way, from hydrangea?
3: So, uh, yeah, hydrangeas, they're a great landscape plant. There's so many different kinds. Uh, you want to prune those uh, before the buds break. So you could do that now. You could do that in, you know, any time in the next few weeks. And you want to cut just above a nice fat bud. So these are leaf buds. And you can take advantage of this time to shape the plant, to remove some branches that maybe have overgrown the rest of the plant and kind of head them back. So, in other words, cut them back. And, again, cut just above a healthy bud, and that will then eliminate those kind of stumpy branches that you get when you do some pruning. Okay.
2: Any tips and tricks listener, wants to know for growing shade grass under trees?
3: The right species is the most important thing when trying to grow grass in shade. And then also, I think also knowing when to give up growing grass in shade and plant, uh, say, uh, shade tolerant perennials or shade perennials in that area. Sometimes it's better to just, uh, the grass is so thin and it's so much work and you spend so much time trying to reseed it and reseed it that ultimately it's better to just, plant shade perennials, mulch the area around there, and just enjoy a shade garden.
2: A little over a minute to go, Julie. Let's grab one more. Is it possible that rotating my orchids so that the plant would grow more upright could have stressed out my orchid too much? Many of the leaves have wilted, although I do have one bud on the long old sprout.
3: So one of the things about orchids is is when, when plants flower... Or, and then ultimately produce seed or fruit also, they put a ton of energy into doing that. And so orchids will typically look a little wrinkly after they have flowered. It sounds like you've got one more bud on this old stem, and uh, but the plant is, is finishing up its bloom cycle at this point. Rotating it will not have hurt it. Um, but it's, but it's a kind of a natural occurrence. You just think of it. It's kind of like the plant is panting hard, you know, just like, oh, that was a lot of work. And so, uh, and so I think that just be patient with it. Um, it sounds like you've been taking care of it well and, uh, and it will eventually the leaves will plump back up. You'll see new roots, uh, coming out and then, uh, the bloom cycle will happen again next year.
2: And what is that university website before we let you go today?
3: It is extension.umn.edu. Yard and Garden is the name of it, and we do have the Yard and Garden News, which has got some excellent information uh, that our educators that we all write together. And now, of course, we're writing more and more uh, topics because we're getting into that growing season.
2: In uh, 15 seconds or less, the most importantly now, when do the Abiders play next? we don't know know yet but we'll be we'll be the first to let you know right
3: we will let you know as soon as we know
2: (laughs) all right outstanding all right julie thanks so much always a pleasure and yeah i urge folks to get on that the university website there's so much good information on there and we've had so many texts julie i'm going to try to grab some more to open up the show next week what do you say
3: sounds perfect
2: All right. Thanks very much. Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. What a day this is going to be. By the way, uh, coming up next hour by popular demand, we did a show on decks and decking last week. We're going to uh, repeat that show. Andy Lindis got a lot of requests for that, so we're going to be doing that next hour. 61 the high today right now on CCO. It's 37.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,